What's good in the hood? Let's hold it down, try to take care of business. Keep it up. Episode 32, March 27, 2021. Welcome to another exciting edition of Fractured Skulls. I am, it's going to be the last time I'm going to be saying this, WNEP Newswatch 16 star Terminator Travis alongside my partner of crime, my amigo, Monoxa. Uh, yes, I guess I'm uh, WWE Network, WWE 24, uh, New York edition star, Monoxide, a.k.a. Owen Hart guy. The guy who cut a Owen Hart promo in front of Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder. Look at this guy, he's a celeb over here. You you had a WWE Network, right? Exactly, I was on the uh, WWE 24 documentary. Every year, they release a documentary going behind the scenes of WrestleMania. And that year when they were technically it was in new jersey but because new jersey sucks so much ass they're literally the siamese twin of new york they always label it as new york um i was on the documentary for the simple fact that zach Ryder and kurt hawkins were doing some sort of podcast i don't know what they were doing maybe there was an autograph or a podcast it was at the superstore at access and i was in my owen hart gear uh wearing the king of hearts attire with my two slammies Actually, hold up. I was also wearing the Owen 316 shirt over it. And we just happened to be walking in the same direction. And Zack Ryder just like took one laugh and was just like, oh, that's great. And he pointed me, come here. I want to take a photo and put this on my Instagram. And all of a sudden, as soon as he said that, all the camera crew just like came right in. was just like, oh, we got some footage right here. And Zack Ryder, or no, I asked Zack Ryder, do you want me to take the shirt off? And he's, at first he was like, no, that's okay. And then he paused and wait. Wait, is that the actual singlet? And I said, yeah. Oh, yeah, take that damn thing off. Off, took the photo. Kurt, uh, he brought Kurt Hawkins in. And one of them subliminally said, the best there is, the best worst, or something. They subliminally said something to get me to go into promo mode. And then what you saw there was only like maybe 20% of an actual promo. But that was the only one that really counted because I was doing the Royal Rumble promo. Um, they, they cut out the part where I said the enough is enough and it's time for change. Not that it really mattered, but that was, yeah, my little thing. That's great. And it's, it should still be on their Instagram page, right? I'm pretty sure you favored it. Uh, yeah, I saved the post and it was also on their Twitter, too, because as soon as it got on Twitter, uh, a personal friend of ours, Kristen, uh, yeah, you still owe me a call, uh, shot me a message saying, uh, snapshotting the actual tweet saying, here it is so that you never lose it or you, you always have it forever. Because I guess she was looking at Zack Ryder's Twitter and that came up. So it, it was a good moment. Uh, the only regret I had was not being able to see Natalia in the gear or Kevin Owens or Mark Henry. So. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's a pretty awesome moment. I, uh, I yeah. over that. So that's, that's a cool moment to cherish. Yeah. And I've got two more gear coming, one with uh, his Slammy Award singlet and his fully loaded 1998 attire. If you remember the dungeon match that he had with Ken Shamrock in his dungeon. Yeah, so he's going for the dungeon gear. <laughs> oh, yeah, because we were just watching it, me and Owen were just watching him. Just We love the fact that Owen takes Ken Shamrock and just shoves him in the ceiling and breaks the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> and the part where he, at the very end, he hits him in the head with a dumbbell and then puts like a real weak looking uh, STF and grabs his arm and make it look like he's tapping out. And Dan Severn, for some reason, didn't see Owen being the one manipulating his arm, just said, oh, that's it, it's over. I think the only thing that I 
would have made that moment better because the whole match was just fantastic. What would have made the moment great because after that, Owen's like, no one beats me in the dungeon. He's walking out of the, the, the basement and he's going by the stairs. What would have been great is seeing him walk up the stairs, go into the kitchen, and grab like a glass of milk to drink it while Ken Shamrock lays in his basement knocked out. <laughs> that would have been amazing. But alas, hindsight's twenty twenty. Owen was a great performer and it's a shame he's no longer with us. Yeah, it's very unfortunate what happens. We, lo- we love you, Owen. Um, you were subscribed to the WWE Network, right? Uh, unfortunately, yes. So your subscription's now gone. Uh, well, I was actually watching some stuff today. Uh, I think it's not officially completely shut off until after WrestleMania. If I'm correct, I could be 100% wrong. So, and so, and then your subscription, I, I would assume, is going to be resumed with the Peacock app. I don't know how exactly that works, per se. Supposedly, you're supposed to subscribe to the Peacock network with the email that, like, it's not just all of a sudden switched. You have to sign up with the email that you used for your WWE network subscription, and then I guess it just uh, goes from there, and Instead of paying nine ninety nine a month, you'll pay four ninety nine a month or something. I, again, don't don't shoot me for saying this. I could be one hundred percent wrong. Yeah, so it was never really cleared or specified how that whole transition is supposed to work. I mean, they better get their shit figured out like quickly when it comes to that, especially by Mania. Uh, yeah. I mean, the Fastlane pay per view was still on the network, but when WrestleMania happens, that's going to be exclusively on Peacock. And my friend, John, who I go watch the pay-per-views with, he watched it on the network. So I don't know how it's going to be on Peacock, if it's going to be any better or any worse, if there's going to be any, like, problems streaming. So I don't know about any of that. Yeah, I'm worried they're going to have, like, buffering issues if everyone, like, go logs in at once live to watch the show. Or it's going to crash or something. Uh, yeah, in the early days of the network, that was a major issue, especially with me. Um, I really did not like the network the first year that it was out because I always had buffering issues. And even to this day, I'll still see some issues like floating around. Uh, I think if I ever tried to watch Royal Rumble 2004, I kept getting the Spanish commentary over the English commentary with no way of fixing it. Um, what was I going to say? I Peacock, I know they're closing down NBC Sports that network so i would assume all their sports related content is going to be on the app now i don't know if WWE is their first live sporting event they're doing on the app i don't know if they've done any, any other live sporting events prior whether it be soccer football or uh, hockey whatever so I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're using WWE as like an experiment to like whatever issues they're gonna have like figure it out before they get like uh hockey or something or whatever sport sports they're allowed to broadcast should we talk about their censoring, quote unquote. Yes, I was just about to transition into that. Then uh, WWE sold their network to uh, Comcast Peacock for a billion dollars. One billion dollars. And on top of all that, I mean, God knows how much footage is on the network already. All that's going to transition onto Peacock. But WWE doesn't really have the say onto what. Uh, they, I guess Peacock has to say over what WWE content can be on their app. And they don't want anything that's offensive. Basically, anything that they find offensive is being removed. Edited out of the show. And 
we've already seen two things being removed. One of which was Roddy Piper doing half blackface at WrestleMania 6 against Bad News Brown and Vince McMahon's N-word moment to John Cena at Survivor Series. And uh, I'm not going to really talk about the Roddy Piper thing because I could see where it's offensive. And to be quite honest, I still don't understand what the point of that was. But um, the Vince McMahon N-word thing... And I say that the N word because it triggers a lot of people. But look, look, that skit is so blown out of proportion to people who get super offended when they bring that up. Oh, uh, Hogan said the N word and he blocked him. But yeah, Vince can go. Listen, if you watch the segment, this was when John Cena was still doing the Doctor Thugonomics gimmick when he was the rapper, and I think Vince McMahon starts off the saying. Or it starts off the skit by saying, what's good in the hood? Coming off like a completely old, out-of-touch white guy trying to fit in. And then John Cena says whatever he says. And then he says, keep up the work, my N-I-G-G-A. Okay? And then Booker T says, tell me he didn't say that. And John Cena gives him that look. It's supposed The whole point of the sketch is it's supposed to make Vince look like an out-of-touch old man trying to fit in with the, the young crowd. Because hip-hop has relatively for the last, I would say, about 20, 25 years has been the hip thing that kids listen to. He's supposed to come off out of touch. You don't have to think it's funny, but it's not as crazy as people make it out to be. I don't understand why people think that way. Are you going to say the same thing with uh, Dave Chappelle's Clayton Bigsby gimmick where the white guy said the N-word as well because he, the Clayton Bigsby heard rap music coming from the white guy's car and he started calling them the N-word and all that stuff? Like, it was meant to be a funny sketch. And to me, it came off way more harmless than people make it out to be. They blow it mountain out of a molehill. But the whole NBC banning all the old stuff, I... Remember listening, I said this before we started recording, I listened to Brian Alvarez and Lance Storm talk about this, and they pretty much said that um, the fans have no rights to the footage, NBC has the rights to do what they want, you don't have to subscribe, which part of it, I, I do agree, you don't have to subscribe if that's the case. But I don't think they understand fans' real anger towards this, and that is... At, because one of the examples they used was ECW using old music. And the reason that Paul Heyman did it was because he flew under the radar. Whereas, and the same thing with Vince McMahon. The difference between music that Paul Heyman did not own the rights to and was using anyway for his shows. And a segment at which at the time flew right under the radar because at the time we didn't have the type of society we have now which is we kind of monitor what entertainment is allowed and what isn't allowed and certain entertainment back then would not be permissible today it's just the way it is but at least when wwe had the network they had a viewer discretion is advised sticker added to certain shows same thing with chris benoit matches that were that would appear on certain shows they would put a little disclaimer or you had a parental guidance thing that you could turn on and off if you turn it on the certain shows wouldn't appear yes nbc does have the right to do this but are they really going to sit there and watch 1700 hours of footage and deem what is appropriate and what isn't appropriate because now you set a precedent of 
Now NBC gets to control what the narrative is for the WWE Network. Okay, yeah, you don't want to show the audience Mae Young giving birth to a hand. All right, that's offensive or whatever. But who's to say that somebody uh, reviews a footage? Let's say they review WrestleMania 13 and they see Steve Austin bleeding like a, a stuffed pig in the sharpshooter and they say, ooh, that's a little too graphic. We shouldn't show that match. That match is like one of the most historically important matches in the company's history. It's super important because it changed the tide from Steve Austin being what they were trying to deem as the number one bad guy into the number one good guy. And on top of that, it is the double cross or the double turn because Brett turns bad guy. It's the most historically important match because the tides turn at that point. So if somebody reviews that footage and think, thinks, oh, this is a little too much. We shouldn't show this to our audience. They may take offense to this. Now you're taking away important historical moments. At what point does it stop? Because as people might not agree with my, my statement here, offensive material usually is subjective to certain viewers because certain viewers take certain things objectively. Like we talked about on Psycho Gorman where the girl broke the cross. None of us in that review found it offensive. I mean, we kind of were like, whoa, that's, that's crazy, but... We didn't lose any sleep over it, but somebody who may be super religious watches that and is like, oh my god, how dare they do this? That's sacrilegious. So you're you're putting the fate of these shows in the hands of people who ideally probably aren't wrestling fans. They are just business people trying to sell a, a product to an audience. And the audience they're trying to sell it to is probably not going to take well to the fact that their product is being tampered with. And yes, Lane Storm brought up, yeah, the, the WWE is tampered with stuff all the time. And even then, it was still not <laughs> well-loved by the fans because nobody wants to see their uh, history tampered with because it's like, that's history. So I'm not a fan of Peacock trying to, to ban or not even show certain material. If you want to put viewer discretion, I'm for that because, yeah, there is certain things that's like I wouldn't show it to kids. But to now sit there and try to... Uh, not like have WrestleMania six up there, not have the Roddy Piper Banners Brown. That's kind of a bad example because even I was like, mm, that's a little much. But to just not even have it, and then somebody goes on to Wikipedia and sees there's a Bad News Brown Roddy Piper match. Well, why wasn't it on Peacock? And it's like you, you're only scraping, you're putting a band aid on a bullet wound, is what I'm trying to say. Why hide from it? If I get their business, but like at the end of the day, you, you, I, I don't see how this is business savvy for anybody because bringing WWE isn't going to entice uh, non-wrestling fans to subscribe to Peacock because, oh, they got WWE material. You're trying to gain wrestling fans, and wrestling fans are not going to take appreciation to the fact that their wrestling is being tampered with, even worse than what WWE has done. What they're doing now, this is just the bottom of the barrel. They got so much to do. You, as you mentioned, they got 17,000 hours worth of footage. And I, I don't even think that's their entire library yet. That's just what's on the network right now. And what what about the future with the with WWE adding more shows and they do something that might offend Peacock? Are they going to edit that portion out of the show when they upload it on their app? What about ECW? What about the crucifixion angle? Hell, what about everything ECW has done? Or, better yet, look at all the material that WWE did from about 1996 to about 2008. Yeah. Making fun of someone's uh, uh, cerebral palsy? Is this Peacock going to tolerate that? What about Trish barking like a dog? 
Trish Barkin dog, um, having a black militant group as a heel or Muhammad Hassan. And again, it was for, from a, a, an era where that was deemed cool because, you know, we're full of attitude now and we don't want clear cookie cutter good guys anymore. We want badasses like Steve Austin. We want DX. We want all these things. And it was just a, a byproduct of the time. And, and even in the 80s when they were con- uh, catering more to kids, there was stuff there that was a little bit uh, touchy in today's standards, like the way Roddy Piper would conduct himself, the way he would insult Mr. T. It, yeah, there were things that back then were deemed, eh, it is what it is. But that's the thing. That's the byproduct of the times. And and just saying we're not going to show this is, is only, again, you're only hiding the fact that this happened and it's not like it's going to go away. I mean, do you think for one second, if, if your goal is you don't want to offend anybody, you, do, you don't think for one second that somebody who knows of WWE's history isn't going to go and dig it up? I mean, how, how many times do you hear about people digging up tweets from 10 years ago and using it against people to get them fired from their jobs? You don't think for one second that somebody who may have a vendetta against Peacock is going to sit there and be like, look, they've got WWE. They have uh, murderers. Uh, in their past, they have racists in their past. They have all the Pat Patterson, who had a uh, sex scandal back in the early '90s. You don't think they're going to use that against them? And be like, oh, get rid of WWE immediately. You don't think that might not happen? It might not because WWE's gotten away with some real messed up shit that I can't even fathom how they gotten away with it. But I digress. I'm just saying, hiding it is not going to stop people from digging it up. They're still going to find a way to dig it up. I just felt like. Peacock bought this for what reason? Because they want to entice sports fans to watch their network? I mean, at the end of the day, wrestling is it's not really a sport. It's a I used to always call it a pseudo sport because it's you're not trying to win anything, but you're putting on an athletic performance to entertain the audience to make it look like an athletic contest. So it, it, there's athleticism. To say otherwise is, uh, is completely obtuse. But at the end of the day, the people who are going to go to Peacock for WWE are wrestling fans. Nobody else. So yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know who you're trying to woo, woo over here. I mean, I understand why they did it. I mean, with the competition with HBO Max, Disney. I mean, look at all the uh, sister companies HBO Max has. They got Turner Classic, Cartoon Network, DC... Disney, they got Pixar, Marvel, National Geographic, Netflix, they got whoever they want to connect with. They got everything. They got a lot of uh, different content. And Peacock, you know, they want to compete. Hey, who's got the WWE Network? WWE was popular back in the day. And so they purchased uh, that network for a billion dollars. I'm pretty sure with all that content they got to reveal, they're probably wondering, saying to themselves, God damn, we should have just bought the whole damn company at this point. Pay another, what, $3 billion just to get everything? And then just not deal with these people anymore. Uh, at the end of the day, yeah. The Landstorm is right on one thing. It's NBC. They can do whatever they want. They own the rights to it for about five years. I just personally don't see the upside to this because, as I said, it's not like non-wrestling fans are going to be like, ooh, WWE's on Peacock. Let's check this out. It's not even like 
wrestling isn't even like cool right now. The only reason that wrestling is making so much damn money, especially WWE, is TV rights. Like it, they're at a point now where they don't have to listen to the fans. They can do whatever the hell they want, and they're never going to suffer because of it. Vince is a multi-billionaire at this point. He's making deals up the giggy. So they must have known, like they said, going in that yes, this is uh, this is what they're going to do. Do as you please, but. At what point, if they are able to obtain enough people to watch 1,700 hours of footage, at what point do you think that they're not going to deem certain things that we would think is arbitrary as offensive? As I said, the Austin bleeding like a stuffed pig, it's one of the most important matches in the history of the company and the most important match for us wrestling fans because that turned the tide or it was the beginning of the turning of the tide for the company because that's when Austin became the good guy. And you're going to block that. I'm not saying that's going to happen. Keep in mind, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm not saying that some guy is going to watch that and be like, oh, that's offensive. What I am saying is if you're going to have people watching and deeming certain things offensive, you don't think that there might not be one person that will take something that's arbitrary to you and I and think that's offensive. And people, again, it's all subjective. Look at how many times WWE on their top 10 list, when they upload their little top 10s on their YouTube, anytime somebody's bleeding, they try to either black and white the whole video or they turn away from it. Or how about the chair shots to the head? Now when you see a chair shot to the head, they freeze frame it before the chair shot even makes a, a contact to the person's head and so on. The only time you'll see it uncut is if you watch the WWE Network. But now if somebody on Peacock is, is running that stuff and they deem chair shots to the head i mean granted maybe they won't but that, that that's the point i'm making it's a slippery slope and at some point there's going to be things that you're going to even be scratching your head how is that offensive i don't know i just yeah. i don't see the side that yeah and i don't know who's going to be editing this content i'm pretty sure whoever peacock hires uh, and hopefully the people that are editing maybe one of them will be arresting fans will try to make an argument for some of the content they're editing because basically at this point, as, as you said, they, they own well, they, they own the content and they can do whatever they want with it. Um, so who knows? Maybe we they may show the chair shots to the head. That might not be offensive to them. I don't know. As you mentioned, it's a slippery slope. I, it's it's pick and choose what, what they like and what they don't like. So, I mean, what we just saw, what we just heard with the uh, Vince, with him not saying he's editing out the N-word. Uh, again, when Booker T said in WCW, they, they haven't gotten to that yet, but they're probably going to edit that out, too. Yeah, and and that's more of a funny botch. That's like something that even Booker T to this day laughs at. He has fun with it. I mean, it, it was a mistake that he said on pay-per-view. Um, to say that, oh, well, we can't have that. It's like, dude, it's, it's a joke. It's like the Shockmaster falling on his face. In fact, to me, Booker T saying the word isn't even funny. It's Booker T's facial expression after he says it, when he puts his hands on his face and looks like, oh, crap, I know I shouldn't have said that. That's, to me, is funny. More <laughs> so than I'm actually saying it. And then Sherry trying to calm him down. It was funny, but overall, I don't know. I, I have no aspirations to sign up for Peacock if that's what they're going to do, because, again, at what, where does the buck stop? Like... Sure, WWE has done a lot of offensive stuff in their time, but it's, they did it in 1999. They're not doing it in 2021, okay? It's just like, are they, uh, we'll take a recent example. 
Remember back in 2015 when Paige said that her uh, Charlotte's younger brother, Reed, who passed away from a drug addiction, wasn't strong enough to, to uh, overcome his, his problem? And then that's what started their brawl. Are they going to find that offensive? I don't know. Again, we're going to have to wait and see what happens. I, I, I've never had the WWE Network, by the way. I've always borrowed my brother's account. Uh, I, I don't really just watch pay-per-views, but uh, I don't know if he's at Peacock. I don't know if he still has a network because I haven't used it in, in a couple years at this point. Um, I most likely, uh, I'm not going to get Peacock. I already have enough apps as it is. Um, but I mean, that's, that's just wrestling. I mean, what about movies? I mean, people get offended by movies still. Whether it be uh, a gore or a little girl ripping a, breaking a cross in half. I mean, are they going to edit that too? I mean, where, again, where the, where's the line drawn here? It's a very blurry line. It, it, it was like that back in the day. Um, at, uh, Charlie Chaplin's Great Dictator was considered super offensive. This was, Charlie Chaplin was calling out Adolf Hitler before everybody else was. I mean... Again, where does the buck stop is the basic gist. And and to be fair, this has been a problem within society for years because back in the day, Elvis Presley was not allowed to wiggle his hips on TV. Uh, yeah, Jim Morrison from The Doors was not allowed to sing Light My Fire on uh, Johnny Carson, and he did it anyways. But it's like, at some point, the buck's got to stop somewhere. Like... I don't know. Having people subject themselves to 17,000 hours of WWE footage just so that they can be like, okay, this is offensive, this is not offensive. And then what happens if you get a group of people? Let's say it's got to be decided on a vote. What if half of the people think it is and half of the people don't? Like, how do you solve that problem? Uh, Steel cage. Lethal lockdown. Hell in a cell, (laughs) rage in a cage, penis in your anus. (laughs) <laughs> or games um, and uh, I don't think that was Johnny Carson I think that was Ed Sullivan because I think Ed a lyric- yeah you're yeah. right it was Ed yeah Ed they Sullivan. had a lyric in their song about getting high and you don't want them to say that and Morrison did it anyway and yeah and then Ed Sullivan said something along the lines of you'll never perform in the Ed Sullivan show and he's like we already did lie we're lie pal <laughs> yeah we already did we, we've accomplished that you don't have to threaten us We'd never performing again because we've already tackled that goal. So. Yeah, and Peacock's not the first to make changes to their shows. I mean, they're just the latest example. I remember Netflix when the whole cancel culture was really like coming into effect. Uh, Netflix had a sketch comedy show called with Bob and David, and they had a sketch where uh, David Cross uh, dressed up as blackface to try to get a uh, reaction from the cops, and they edit that whole uh, skit out of out of their uh, episode. You can still find it on YouTube, but yeah, that's just an example of the something Peacock might do to come across any WWE segments with anyone uh, involving point, Can can you ban Tropic Thunder from ever being shown because Robert Downey Jr. donned the blackface? I mean, even though the character in and of itself was so outrageous, like every every black person I've ever talked to, this is anecdotal. They don't find it offensive because the character was just super outrageous that it's like you can't even get offended by it. It's just like super out there. As he said it, I'm a dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I thought he should have been nominated Academy for that. I thought, I thought Donnie did an excellent job. 
Yeah. I think that was right around the time he really picked himself back up. Was, I think it was shortly before he did Iron Man, or at least around the same time. I think it was the same year. 2000. Same year. Yeah. And he was underrated in Chaplin. He did a very fantastic Charlie Chaplin. Yes, yes. I think, yeah, that is definitely an underrated performance of his that doesn't get talked about enough. Well, yeah, that was still in his early days when he was still messed up on drugs. Yeah. Anywho, before we get to today's movie discussion, I'd like to uh, promote Patreon, patreon.com slash Network. Uh, for $1, $1, you get access to this full episode of Fractured Skulls, along with our other past episodes, and any, all of our other uh, uh, shows. We have uh, the Geeky Nerds podcast, hosted by Marvelli. We have, of course, the main show, uh, the Chillin' Killin' Network, or the Chillin' Killin' Podcast, hosted by uh, Anthony Gangone. We're all under one big umbrella, the Just Chillin' Network. Donate $1 today. Please, you'll get us. That's right. The most entertaining show on the Just Chillin' Network. That's right. Numero uno. We are number one. All right. Today's film discussion is 2012's The Lords of Salem. Directed by Robert Zombie. Written and directed. Produced by Jason Blum of Blumhouse. Uh, going by the name Haunted uh, Films Production. Whatever the hell the name was at the time. Um, yeah. Uh, going into this film. Uh, Rob Zombie had complete creative control. Which is a big thing that uh, Blumhouse. They do a lot of their directors. They give them free creative control. What they can do. Because he claims that with his Halloween films. He did not have free creative control which i might have to call bullshit on but here he had freedom of do whatever he wanted and uh this was a stinker if you ask me max what did you think of the lords of salem Travis, how long have we been friends oh uh i want to say late late 2009 okay so that's about 12 years almost yes how does it feel to know that you are this close to completely crippling our friendship by telling me to watch this film? How, how does it feel to know that our that this show could end possibly on this episode because you decided that I had to subject myself to this piece of shit? Everything we've been through, whether it be call per, and out personal shit, everything we've been through, this is the deal breaker. This yes. freaking movie. Yes. Yes, because let me tell you something, right? <laughs> All those past experiences, guess what? That builds character for both of us. We become better people growing up. We become better adults, and we're still becoming better adults as we move along. I don't think watching this movie advanced us as human beings at all. This movie, in fact, took some of the brain cells that were locked inside this pea-sized brain of mine and just completely destroyed them, okay? Listen, I would have been more receptive if you would have just said, let's just re-watch Killer Pinata and re-review it, all right? <laughs> we could have done that, but instead, we were supposed to review this last week, but then Kevin, a great man, by the way, a great, great man, promoted Killer Sofa and, and Slacks. 
All right, Killer Silver was a dud, but Slacks, all right, he saved us from having to watch this crap. But after we did our review, you were persistent. We watched Lords of Salem. You were persistent that this was our film to review. And here we are. It's almost 12 o'clock midnight as we head into March, what is it, 28th? And now I have to debate with myself if this should even go on because you subjected me to this. Okay, wait a minute. When we did Three From Hell, I didn't like that movie. Somehow you found light, more light than I did within that film. You didn't love it, but you enjoyed it more than I did. So I thought, eh, if he liked that, maybe he'll like this. No. You want to know why? Wait, wait, wait. Let, let's 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 get into the film, I guess. So, from what I gather from the film, this is the plot. Sherry Moon, of course, because it's a Rob Zombie film. Sherry Moon's got to be in it. And and keep in mind, I don't hate Sherry Moon as much as I guess most people do. Does she have a bad reputation? I don't know. My mother used to hate Sherry Moon because she always felt like she got her opportunities just because of Rob Zombie, but she never really bothered me personally. Although she was a, a tad bit annoying in Three from Hell, but I digress. I The gist I got was she is a disc jockey with two other guys, one of them being, I, I forget the actor's name, but he played the dad in Keenan and Kel. Um, Ken Ford. Yeah, Ken. There you go. And some other hippie dude. And they, they run a radio show in which they play a song from the Lords, the Lord of Salem. And it's some song that basically possesses her mind and she becomes uh, haunted by these witches in her dreams and in her thoughts. And then come to find out that the, the building that she resides in, the three women that reside in there have been using her for some sort of Wicca ritual. So I have no problem with using religious iconography for horror. I mean, The Exorcist is an excellent film that tackles that. I had another one in mind, but I can't remember off the top of my head that used religious iconography and did a better job with it. But Exorcist is usually the one that I go to. Hell, Poseidon Adventure kind of did because the main character, um, Gene Rayburn, I think, he plays a, a priest who doesn't feel like we should always have to rely on God to get us out of situations. We don't shouldn't always have to pray to him. Like he's not the end all be all. But this film, it was an hour and 40 minutes, but it felt like five hours, five, five years of that. It dragged. It was boring. None of the gore made any fucking sense. None of the story intrigued me in any way, shape or form. I was falling asleep. I couldn't concentrate on this film. I couldn't understand what the hell was going on or what the point of most of this plot was. Nothing made any goddamn sense. And keep in mind, this is coming from somebody who loved Rob Zombie's music. I loved House of a Thousand Corpses. I thought Devil's Rejects was fine. I thought Three from Hell was not as bad as people said it was. I defended it on that. I felt like he butchered the Halloween series. But hey, I have a lot of respect for Rob Zombie. I think the dude's a, a very smart dude. He's very good at uh, cinematography. He's very good at getting the visualization of certain imagery to make it look disturbing. That's his That's his craft. But this, this, this was, it was, I don't mean to offend people who have gone through this situation before. This movie was a fucking abortion. 
it was that bad. It, this was one of the worst films I have ever seen. It's literally all it is. Is that it's what was that one movie that I told you about? The t- uh, Tatsuo, the 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 Iron Man or whatever. Yeah, the, Tatsuo the, the Iron Man. Yeah. The one thing about that movie was it's just like so. It's just random things going on all at once. It's like one minute. It's like it's a. It's a slow part where it's just like building up to the tension, and then it's just this crazy nonsense of gore. That's what this film was. It was just one moment somebody's acting normal, and then the next minute there's some crazy nonsense going on, and it's just like this passes as art. It's like if he saw that film and he saw The Shining and said, "I want to make something like that. I want to make a movie where not everything really makes sense. It's almost like a bad dream." Crazy imagery, very disturbing scenes. I mean, we're getting freaking topless make fossil. That's disturbing enough. And just hopefully it makes sense. All right, so the basic story, as you mentioned, that this jockey played by Sherry Moon, she's a recovering drug addict. We learn later in the film she's a descendant of this priest that burned these witches she's having dreams about in Salem back in like the late 1600s or whatever. And while they're being burned, they casted a spell on his bloodline. And of course, that comes back to Sherry Moon. And they play that music, which is a spell. It's almost like a spell to like lure her in. And then that's when the whole hallucination begins. Uh, the witches are mind-fucking mind her. And then the film ends with that Lord's band is playing at a con- it's having a concert show. And then we find out the Lord's band is, I guess, her landlord and her two friends, the two, the three old ladies, I guess, were the ones that planted that record in her at the desk in the beginning of the film. And all the other women, it like possesses all these women and then they all go topless and sacrifice themselves for Sherry. And then Sherry gets burped to like a crawfish or some sh- I don't know. This was so nonsensical. It was just like... One minute it seemed like they were building to something, and then the next minute you're they're just making a scene just to shock the audience. And to me, shocking the audience for the sake of shocking the audience doesn't work for me. It's not it doesn't work for me in the same sense of people just uh, being offended by it. Me, it's more so like if I see a scene that's like super gory or super shocking, but there's no rhyme or reason for it, I'm just gonna be more like perplexed. Like, why is this? See, when we reviewed Midsommar, I was confused more so by the fact that there were certain elements of the film that I thought were going to be touched up on more, were going to be more centerpiece to the film that weren't really pushed forward. And that may turn away some people who would start watching the film maybe halfway through. It's definitely one of those films that if you blink, you miss something. This here, it's just like... Even if you pay the close attention, it's just like nothing adds up. Like, for example, the one part where they're in the theater uh, doing the whole big concert. Her two disc jockey friends just get locked outside and don't bother to call the police. Don't bother to try and break in to stop this. Their friend just got locked in there. They're never heard from again. Yeah, she closed the door on him. She said goodbye. And then that was the last we've seen of him in the movie. And then supposedly Sherry Moons gives a birth to the spider thing that comes out of her womb or her stomach. I I literally watched this film and suffered post-traumatic stress disorder 
from the days when I would go and watch movies like The Ring, which in my opinion is the worst horror film of all time. This is very close to it and may outbeat it. Because at least the concept of The Ring, where you watch a tape and somebody calls you up and says you're going to die in seven days. I mean, the fear of having to sit there for a whole week knowing that somebody's going to try and kill you in the next week and you are facing certain death, that's a scary concept. I think the ring poorly executed it. I thought it was horribly done, but that's a whole that's a whole different review for a whole different day. This it's like my mom used to always rave to me to watch the third season of The Coven uh, from American Horror Story because Kathy Bates plays like a witch. She does a fantastic job. I mean, if this, I hope to God that 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 season is way better than what we watched here because watching this film made me rest assured that I don't even want to watch any horror film or any film whatsoever involving witches. I mean, I'm a fan of the Harry Potter series. I don't even want to touch that series ever again after watching this because it's like I, I get nightmares knowing that I just wasted two hours of my time on a movie that just dragged had no uh, sense sense of direction whatsoever other than that Sherry Moon just gets possessed and the guy that's supposed to save her just gets killed off unceremoniously. I mean, I, I can't. There's, there's a room in the whole building that's number five, which has some sort of symbolism that's never explained. Is it, I mean, it was like number six. I'm like, okay, six, 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 I get it. But it's number five, and and every time they go into that room, something different happens. It's like a it's like a ballroom. It's like a church. There's a cross there, but there's no reason as to why this room does that all the time. Like somebody died in there, somebody committed a ritual in there, or maybe that's where the priest inhabited himself, or or the witches used to live in. I don't know. But here's the thing: they kept focusing on this door, number five. Like as if there's some sort of symbolism behind this door, which is never explained, nor is it even alluded to. This is not like this is not like in No Country for Old Men, where um, at the very tail end of the movie, when um, Tommy Lee Jones's character walks in the door where Anton Chigurh is, there's a coin that's on heads. It's very subtle, but you can deduce that Anton Chigurh flipped the coin. And it landed on heads, which meant that he just ran away and decided not to kill the Tommy Lee Jones character. That's subtle, but it makes sense. And you could pick that up, maybe not at the first viewing, but maybe after watching a couple times or or discussing the film with other people, film purists, you could pick that up. I don't know how you could pick up anything from this film. Nothing just seems right at all. This is like... This is going into Donnie Darko territories where you have to like watch the film several times and watch like documentaries about people who found arbitrary uh, point lines to to make sense of this film. You see, Rob Simon was going for like a imagery type film where like not everything has to make sense, and I get that, but he's just not the right filmmaker to do it. I mean, you're not Stanley Kubrick. Kubrick could pull that off. Even David Lynch could pull this off. Have you ever seen Eraserhead? Mm-hmm. That's that's a mind fucking move, but it works. There's there's really there's no way to put your finger on it on how it works. It's just I think it's just the way it comes together in the end. I feel like there are scenes missing from this movie that could have made that could at least made some of this make sense. I mean, there's potential here maybe, but Rob Zombie's not the guy for it. He's just not the right guy for this job. 
If he wants to write it, fine. Someone else needs to come in, some director come in, maybe do some more rewrites on his script, flesh it out more, and make it I at least give 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 us something out of it. Give us I didn't don't make me feel like I wasted a hundred minutes. Cause that's what it felt like. I felt like I didn't watch anything. I'm like, what did I just watch? And this is my second viewing of the film and I still got nothing out of it. The only thing I got out of it was that I was like, oh look, Sid Haig. I know Sid Haig was in this film. Wait, Sid Haig was in there? I don't remember even seeing him. Him and um our good buddy Michael Berman, the one that got cut from the crow, he's in it too. That must have been part of when I was sleeping, because it was a part of it where I'm like dozing off, going into a power nap mode, and I just couldn't watch it. It must have been in the beginning, because that's when I was starting to power nap throughout I, it. It was during the middle where um ready to burn, make Foster onto the fire, onto her, to put her across whatever, and put the little iron mask on her, and then burn her alive, whatever. However they do. Oh, yeah, I did see that. That was like. But apparently he had dialogue. Him and Michael Berman had more scenes. It's just they got cut. Here's the thing. I wasn't even disturbed by the film. That's the part that might get misconstrued. It's not even like I was disturbed. I've seen so many movies and so many disturbing imagery. I think the last time I was ever, like, disturbed, maybe, was the rape scene in Last House on the Left, the remake. I was like, ooh, that's a little bit much. Could be. But it's like, uh, I'm pretty much numb to a lot of stuff. I'll give credit where credit is due. Um, But... Rob Zombie, it's not like he's incapable because House of a Thousand Corpses, as I said, I think is a really well done horror film because it gives you that disturbing imagery. Meanwhile, it it's a story that you can follow. It's not too overly complicated. There are certain things, yes, like Dr. Satan doesn't get explained in later films. He did bring Dr. Satan back in Devil's Rejects, but he cut that part of the film out because he felt like it didn't fit with the imagery of where he was going with the series. But that being said, it's a film that I feel like hits that disturbing tone, even to this day. Again, I'm a little more numb to it now because I've seen the film so many times and I've seen other films after that. And I enjoy House of a Thousand Corpses to this day. I own a damn shirt. We talked about that story. But... This was just like, when you're just being disturbing for the sake of being disturbing, it doesn't hit well. It's like, again, with people who might not watch wrestling here that listen to this podcast, it's like when Vince Russo used to just throw swerves in storylines that made no sense at all. Yeah, nobody saw it coming because it was so out of left field that it didn't make any sense as to why it would even happen in the first place, thus making the swerve completely meaningless. Throwing disturbing imagery for the sake of just trying to disturb the viewer isn't going to work. Again, going back to Midsommar, there was disturbing imagery, and some of it made sense. Like, again, with the scene where the two old couples jump off the cliff and kill themselves. It makes sense because this is a a cult, and they're doing some sort of cult-like thing, and that's a disturbing imagery. That makes sense. Nothing here made sense. It was just like, oh, well, it's... She just happens to be attached to some sort of priest that was involved in stoning witches, and now she's cursed, and now she's seeing imagery of 
she she goes into a church and she falls asleep and she imagines the priest being a, a complete pervert and forces her to com, uh, commit to oral sex. Like, really? And then he barfs up black blood. He's Randy Orton now. And- <laughs> that, that seems to get a chuckle out of me. I don't know why. That's the dumb. What the hell is that? <laughs> I don't know. I can't, like, halfway into this film, I'm like, this is, it's boring. None of the scenes intrigue me. None of the scenes just, well, again, I'm not going to go with Disturb. I'm trying to keep an open mind. I, again, I've seen so many movies really is hard to disturb me nowadays but and partially i'm emotionally detached from most things that would disturb most people but that's that's a whole personal issue with me but i try to give it an open mind and watching this film was just hard it was so hard and it's not like i didn't want to like it because again i love rob zombie as a musician the guy is smart if you ever listen to him but his intelligence in interviews do not translate to his movies. No, not at all. It's it's almost like if you were to watch Marilyn Manson try to make a movie, and I know he's in a lot of hot water right now, but if he was to make a movie, this is something I would imagine Marilyn Manson making, and I too would have the same exact reaction. And I'm more of a fan of Rob Zombie as a musician, personally, but that's personal taste. But I I can't believe Rob Zombie made this film. It was it was not good. Like nobody nobody here, in my opinion, was good either. The acting wasn't that great. Nobody was convincing of their roles at all. I I thought the best actor of the film was probably the author Bruce Davison. The one I the one I was trying to save her, but got whacked in the head by a frying pan that even Richie Tiller would be proud of. Do you think our audience is gonna know who the hell Richie Tiller is? <laughs> I wish. Uh, long story, guys. Let's. Uh, it's best left unsaid. Unless Travis, you want to dedicate some time to talking about who that is. Uh, that's another story for another time. I, I, I'll have to explain it in video form, not audio. Audio's not going to do it justice. Yeah, hopefully, if we ever get on YouTube. But oh my god. But I, I didn't think the acting was too bad. I mean, I thought Sherry Moon was tolerable here. She wasn't annoying, like. She wasn't over the top as she usually is. I mean, I mean, they, like I said, the, the acting wasn't great. The story wasn't captivating or, or interesting at all. It was just like, it was just, I think that's the biggest problem. It was just, it was just too bland of a film. I mean, you got a very bland story. And if you're going to try and mix it up with your disturbing imagery that he was going for, it's just, it's just an incoherent mess, man. It's, it's everywhere. Like what's happening? She opens this five door, ends up like in a big opera house. Then you got this demon, and it shoots out its like, tentacles at her, and she—I guess she's being possessed, or I don't know. Tennis balls, tortellini, ten- tentacles. But I don't. Who cares at this point? Like by the end of the film, I'm just like it, the credit scene. Apparently, was a mass suicide for what reason? I guess in the name of Satan. I—I I couldn't tell you. There's no talk of mass suicide. It was just like. They just walked in there, and apparently she gave birth to some sort of thing, and and that was that. It was just like, and again, her two disc jockey friends who got locked out are never referenced again. They didn't call the police. They didn't try to save her themselves. There was no, like, big fight at the end between them and, and these people. It... Oh. Yeah, they said the person that found all the bodies was some janitor. <laughs> and he called the cops. 
Probably played by Bill Mosley, but his scenes got cut. <laughs> he should thank his lucky stars that they were, because if I was in his shoes, I wouldn't want to be associated with this film. I this this is, in my opinion, definitely Rob Zombie's worst film that I've seen. And I, is there one more we still get to watch? Ah, uh, this thirty-one. This this came. This was his next film. He followed up after Halloween Two. I have I, to, I'm debating whether this or Halloween Two is worse because I did not like Halloween Two at all. I didn't like Halloween Two either, but it wasn't like how do I put it? There were kills that I liked in Halloween Two, like the when he stabs the nurse, even though it was all an apparition. There were things about Halloween Two I liked, despite it being a bad film. And it butchering the Michael Myers gimmick. But I in no way felt like, okay, so that film I saw in theaters, Halloween 2. I was dragged to see it by my friend Adrian, who at the time was my friend for about five years up to that point. We're still friends to this day. But that was another occasion where I questioned our friendship. <laughs> but. That one was not as bad as this. <laughs> oh, wow. I took it one step beyond. Further, Because at least, at least with Halloween 2, for the most part, I got the story that they were going with. Malcolm McDowell, who's uh, Dr. Loomis, became an asshole author because of what happened and, and tried to deviate from the situation. You got Laurie Strode trying to move on and then Michael Myers still trying to talk. It was very simplistic and pretty stupid, but it was easy to follow. It's just it's just a bad film. I I fall into the lines of it was a bad film, but it didn't anger me. This, however, bored me to death. It dragged. I kept tagging, like like touching my phone because I was watching on my phone, asking myself, "Oh my god, how much time is left?" Oh my god, only two minutes passed. <laughs> oh my god, it's 48 minutes, there's still 47 minutes afterwards, like, come on, I couldn't take it anymore, it was, it was a plotting film that just didn't interest me, like, uh, I'm gonna take a line, um, what was it, Do you, we had this one guy that used to be on YouTube named Mutant, um, he, he rather watch Martha Stewart, How to Make Blinds from Shelf Paper, than watch this, I think... I'm in the same boat. I'd rather watch like somebody uh, make it like I would rather have somebody show me how to make a, a scarf by hand without the use of a sewing machine and told to me by an old elderly lady who talks very slow than ever watch this film again. This was the drizzling fucking shits. I'm sorry. And I hate and I hate being vile and venomous. To things I don't like because it's not conducive to uh, people listening to my opinion because it comes off more emotional than it does uh, rational. But this was <sighs> this was a face palm. Like you messaged me saying I hated this movie. <laughs> I did. I just that's a strong word. And and when a movie is bad, you hope it's bad to the point where it's funny, like Jason X. Jason X was a terrible movie, but it was funny. It was it, like, it's one of those, it's so bad, it's good films. This it's is a chunk. Right. Or, or slacks. Like, just the idea of killer pants. It's, it's funny. It's ridiculous. Okay. 
And then there's films that we've watched that were bad, but they were forgettable. Like Killer Sofa. It was a bad film, but I can at least, after watching it, be like, that was disappointing. I was expecting something goofier, but hey, whatever. I'll move on. I, I, I'll survive. This, 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 this is definitely, I, I, I would not be surprised if we went back in time and, and handed this to Vietnamese soldiers that they would have captured American soldiers and used this as torture to give them information. You're not going to give us the information we want. Okay, you're going to watch this film on repeat. Instead of Daryl, what, what was it, having to listen to Easy Street and Walking Dead? Just let, have him watch Lords of Salem on repeat. <laughs> you might as well. That's more torture. Instead of, um, uh, what is it, where, where you drip like a little driplets of water on somebody's nose and just keep on going? Just have him watch this. That's way worse. Instead of waterboarding showing this film. I, people, I think, would rather have the death penalty than watch this film ever again. Like, this, this, that is the death penalty, this movie. Exactly. You may as well just beg for a, a quick death at this point if, you, if you're forced to watch this. Because it's, it's not that good. And I refuse to watch it ever again. And it's sad coming from me because I like Rob Zombie. I think the guy's great at most things he does. Most. Keep that in mind. The way you're talking, it sounds like you have a love-hate relationship with Rob Zombie. Because you like his past work, but then you get to films like his Halloween movies, and especially this. And it's like, damn, dude, I really want to like you, but you're making it very hard for me right now with this. It's kind of like we have our personal friend Alex, who was a huge fan of Kanye West. But the more Kanye West opened his mouth, the less he started to like him. Same with Taylor Swift. But at the end of the day... I, I'm the type of person that if you have a political opinion I don't agree with and we have a discussion about it, I'm not going to end our friendship just because we have a difference of a political opinion. And I'm not talking like something extreme, like you want to kill a, a, a whole entire race of people. That's a whole ex that's extreme. I'm talking to somebody who has a political opinion that differs from mine. I'm going to remove you from my life because of that. If you like a certain film. I'm not going to remove Rob Zombie from my life just because he makes a couple of bad films. The dude's still a talented musician. He still made House of Thousand Corpses, which I am a fan of. I am a fan of Devil's Rejects. I'm not a fan of his Halloween movies. I thought they were bad, but they were bad to a sense I can make jokes about them. I can't even make jokes about this film. The film in and of itself is a living and breathing joke. What can I say? The hate part, yes, I don't understand why Rob Zombie does these types of films because it hinders my defense of him saying that he's an intelligent person because he is he's very intelligent he's not stupid he just happens to show the audience more of a stupid side than he does an intelligent side when he pulls these things uh, i don't get it i don't i don't i don't i i just don't he's he's a type of guy who has good ideas you put it on paper and it look and it looks and sounds great on paper. It's just the transition to film is where he struggles. He, Big time. He is literally the Vince Russo of movie making. 
Vince Russo is the same deal. He can shoot out a great idea, but you have to filter it because as soon as you say to Vince Russo, okay, expand on that idea, he comes up with all these other crazy nonsense that takes the good idea that he once had into a cockamony idea. And then it's like, now you gotta like pull your hair out. I understand if Jim Cornette ever heard that comment from me, he's gonna wanna choke the shit out of me. Jim, I'm sorry. You're a great guy. I agree with you. I do not think that Vince Russo is a great booker. That being said, that being said, in the words of Jim Cornette, shit stain does have good ideas here and there. It's just that you can't allow him to go free reign. And I think Rob Zombie's unfortunately the same way. You can't give him an idea and allow him to just keep expanding on it because then once he expands on it, you get things like this. I want to see him direct a project that he doesn't write. I like to see him just like whatever. Like they already have a movie, they want to bring in a director. They bring in Rob Zombie and he directs the film. I'd like to see how he does just doing that. And I would like seeing somebody else direct the film that he wrote. Because again, I think he has good ideas, but you need to bring in someone else to kind of all right, you know, kind of put a glass ceiling there. Because as an actress, I think Sherry Moon has potential. I just want to see her do a film outside of Rob Zombie, but it's never going to happen because she just she doesn't have that interest, and it's unfortunate because, again, I I, I think this film could have had potential if it was, even it was it was in the hands of the director who did Midsommar. I I just really blanked on his name, Ari Ari Asshole Ari Aster. That's his name. I think he's he would, an asshole for participating in this shit. He yeah. would have been an asshole to if he would have done this. <laughs> but I definitely think he could have made something better out of this. Had he had he had control. Well, as long as he doesn't make it two and a half hours, I mean that's if he would have made this two and a half hours in the same concept, then I would have just killed myself. So, <laughs> not taking anything away from suicide victims, trust me. I I sympathize, but this is just like yeah, it's, it's okay, Mono. We're gonna hand this episode over to Pete Cock. They're just gonna cut this portion out so they don't hear the joke. Well, if they if we hand this to Peacock, they may not even show this episode, period, because I just I don't know. <laughs> I'm done. I, 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 I can't. I can't today. Like I, I, this this is at the point of the time where I gotta crack open a Jack Daniels just to, to calm my nerves. Well, um I I would ask you any final thoughts, but I think you said it all. You just want to crack Daniels. Here, put it this way. Two thumbs down, and let me chop off another dude's thumbs and put those down as well so that I can multiply that. Uh, out of all the films we've done thus far in our, what is this, episode 32? In our 32 episodes, and we've reviewed multiple films. There's been certain episodes where we've reviewed two films in one episode. Out of every movie we've done thus far, this is definitely the worst one, by far, that we've watched. By far. By far. It's um, definitely one of the worst films we've done since doing this uh, podcast. I mean, yeah. again, two thumbs down for me, too. Um, if you like bizarre imagery, maybe, just maybe, you'll get a kick out of this. But besides that, I can recommend you other films that do this idea way better. Hell, Tetsuo the Iron Man, I recommend. I recommend Eraserhead. And I would even recommend even The Shining. Because there are elements in this film that try to be like that. Obviously, he got from Stanley Kubrick. 
like we mentioned a big uh old opera ballroom scene where she went into the number five room it just had like that shining feel to it um even the number five room like the like that one room you're not allowed to go in even in the shining if you remember the scene which like nixon and the lady in the bathtub listen this didn't need a shining feel to it. It needed a shining, happy people feel to it so I can calm my nerves. <laughs> but besides that, I, uh, yeah, this, this isn't going to work for me, brother. This is, this is a big pass. Oh, yeah. Where is Fu Manchu that could have stopped us? I mean, he could have, he used his political pull to make sure that he didn't do jobs, but he couldn't use his political pull to stop this movie from ever being released. Like, does Hulk Hogan not care about American society? I mean, he is a real American after all. But he chose not to save America from this. Or shame. You know, one thing I wanted to say, I, I get it's kind of like a Rob Zombie trope at this moment. This film is supposed to take place in current time, or the time it was made. Why the hell is everyone dressed like it's the 70s? Because that's Rob Zombie's shtick. He grew up in the 70s, so everything has to be 70s related. Everything! Oh. Even to what they watched on TV? It's all black and white movies! <laughs> that's just... That's what he grew up with. That's what he does. My mom made that same exact comment about his films. I, I get that, but, like, god damn, would it hurt to even show a film from the 80s? <laughs> uh, hey... That listen, if your complaint is that he bases his movies off the seventies, then really you're not really looking deep because we got deeper problems than him <laughs> making his movies in the seventies. Because trust me, there is a bigger issue going on. And trust me, I've got plenty of issues myself. I think people can hear it in my voice, but this this film is definitely one of them. You know, we should have brought Ellie and Anto onto this show. They probably would have made more sense out of this. We love this movie. <laughs> if they tried to make sense of this film, if they if they would have tried, I definitely would have bashed my skull in because then it's like, wait a minute, I can get them defending Midsommar. That's that's defendable. I'm willing to have a discussion about that because that film, I didn't get most of it, and I can see the artistic nature of it. I cannot, for the life of me, see how anybody can defend this one. Oh, no. There was no artistic nature to it, no matter what Rob Zombie tries to tell me. Even the ending sequence, when it, it, it has, like, all these different imageries in, like, in a matter of seconds, reminded me a lot of Natural Born Killers, if you remember the ending scene. It's been a while since I've seen that film. That's the one with uh, Woody Harrelson, right? Yeah, that's the one, the jail one, him and Jay Lewis. Yeah. But um, but yeah, that's gonna. I I got nothing else to say about this movie. Skip it, skip it, skip it. Please do me a favor. Listen, listen to my voice. I know you can't see me, but listen to my voice. If you know what's good for you, if you want to have a future, if you want to have kids, you will not show this to your spouse. You will not show this to anybody if you want to keep your friendship intact. Trust me, it was very hard for me to decide to keep my friendship with Travis after this. I had to fight tooth and nail with myself to say, you know what, it's not worth breaking a friendship over this monstrosity. But trust me, it was a very difficult battle to, to have with myself over. I'm telling you, do not watch this. Do not show it to anybody. I mean, 
if you have a very bad person in your life, if you have a worst enemy that deserves some sort of vengeance, then show him this film, by all means. If you have a horrible boss, show him this film on your way out after you quit. But please, for the love of God, do not show this on your anniversary, your wedding, or whatever. Just don't watch it. Pretend it doesn't even exist in your life. In fact, this episode never existed. Don't don't even... Well, no, no, no. Actually, no. Do listen to this. Pay a dollar to hear us complain about bad films. Yes, this, this is our warning. Yes. Hear our voices. As I mentioned, Rob Zombie is a love-hate relationship. I mean, his movie almost ruined my friendship with my co-host. Mm-hmm. And you'd have to go find a new co-host. I'll have to find a new co-host. And I don't want to find a new co-host. I like the one I have right now. Kevin, we may have to bring you back on to save us. Yeah, save us. You you did a good job saving us a whole week. Because you gave <laughs> us at least a classic in slacks. And I appreciate you for that. My wife doesn't, but I do. <laughs> I'm telling you, you're a good man for that. And a good man you shall always be. And no matter what my wife says about you. Who was the one that promoted Killer Pinata to us? Uh, I don't have their names, but it was one of Anthony Gangone's friends. To Anthony Gangone? If it was one of your friends, I thought it was one of his fans. Oh, one of his fans. Yeah, that's what I meant. That's, that's what she really said. His Give fans. that a free t-shirt. Give them a free DVD to one of your shows. They deserve it. Matter of fact, just marry that person. Forget Ashley. Forget her. She, she's not important. Marry that person because that person did you a favor. Just say. I don't care if you're gay or straight. Just marry them. 